morning, everyone. We have a, a big, as in long, passage to get through today, and we have a, a heavy, as in emotional, I think, passage for us to get through today. So as we start, let me pray for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Stephen. Uh, help us now, by your spirit, to um, embolden us to proclaim Christ and learn from your word about you and your son and what you expect of us. Amen. So our passage, our passage this morning is a vital step, in, comes at a vital step in the flow of Acts. Uh, since the, the very first chapter, we've been waiting for the gospel to go out from Jerusalem. Um, and all of us sitting here in, uh, in uh, Carlton, sorry, all of us sitting here in Carlton is just evidence that that has happened. I mean, if we stay at this point, though, in Acts, if we stay in the story, the gospel seems to be stuck in Jerusalem as the apostles are preaching. Um, even in the face of increasingly aggressive and violent opposition from the Jewish leaders, they are not taking the gospel out. In fact, in 516, people are coming to Jerusalem to the apostles. I mean, how bad does it really need to get before they leave Jerusalem? How bad is it going to get before they, can take, they take the gospel out to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth? And immediately before our passage, we are introduced to Stephen, the focus of today's passage. Uh, he's described as a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. He's one of the seven appointed to handle the church's finances, 6 verse 2, so that, the apostle, so that the apostles can focus on preaching and praying. And so we get to our passage for this morning. Three scenes for us. Stephen accused, Stephen's defense, and Stephen martyred. So scene one, Stephen accused. So in 6 verse 8, Stephen is described as a man full of grace and power. He was performing great wonders and signs among the people. And into verse 10, he is seen as a great debater and defender of the faith, for his accusers were unable to stand up against his wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. Stephen was appointed to serve, but he just doesn't stay in his lane, does he? He was, he was told to look after the church's finances because it's every follower of Jesus' job to bear witness about him, about Jesus. He preaches and proclaims Jesus. Even though he's looking after the finances, even though he's looking after the church's spreadsheets, his, he had a role, yet he speaks about Jesus by the Spirit. And so being dragged before the Jewish court, that's the, before the Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin uh, there is pressure put on him as he's falsely accused of speaking against the, Jew, the pillars of the Jewish faith. That's against speaking against the temple and the law. In verse 14, they say that Stephen says that Jesus, this Nazarene, will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. You see, Stephen's not dragged before the court because he's looking after widows and helping out at church. He's dragged before the court because he has been speaking about Jesus. And so, Stephen, asked by the highest position of authority there, asked by the high priest, chapter 7, verse 1, is this true? 
The court goes silent. What's he going to say? What's Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit, as every Christian is? Is this Christian, is he going to deny the truth and sit down? Or is he going to stand up and proclaim boldly in the Spirit the truth of the gospel? The whole court waits for his answer. The high priest waits for his answer. And so for us, as well, as we are taken before courts or, or taken into the boss's office or asked at the playground or asked around the dinner table about who Jesus is, are we going to sit down and be silent or are we going to stand up and boldly proclaim Jesus? Well, Stephen, empowered and emboldened by the Spirit, he steps up and he speaks and he has something to say, doesn't he? I mean, scene, so we get to our second scene, Stephen's defense, 7-2 to 53. The camera looking at the court zooms in on Stephen. And here, in this defense, defense of his, he manages to cover 1,200 years of history um, and maybe a bit more, so... He goes all the way back to Abraham, all the way through to Solomon, and whilst they're in, to, in the land, um, and I, I do wish we had all morning to wrestle with this, but we don't, so we're going to fly through this central uh, part of the passage, but maybe you could all pull out uh, the Bible, pull out the passage over morning tea and keep chatting about what he says, um, but he does have something to say. He says that God has always been faithful even as Israel have repeatedly turned away from him. So here, we're going to fly through this, okay? So verses 6 and 7, God made promises to Abraham, and he came through on those promises in the time of Moses, verses 17, 35, and 36. And yet Israel turned back to Egypt after being delivered from the land, verse 39. And God gave them the law, the living oracles from atop Mount Sinai, there was thunder and lightning and trumpets sounding and earthquakes and smoke like coming from a furnace at the top of the mountain as Moses received the law from God. Verse 38, whilst Israel at the bottom of this mountain, Mount si bottom of Mount Sinai, verse 40 and 41, made a golden calf, bowed down to it and said, you lead us into the land. Stephen keeps going though, God leads them into the promised land, verse 45, and he dwells amongst them in the tabernacle and then the temple, verse 47. Yet even in the land, he quotes from Amos in verse 42 and 43, they've been treating the temple like just another idol. They've been turning from it, from God, and turning to the idols with such as the tent of Moloch. Verse 43, and the star of your God, Rephan, the images that you made to worship. They are not turning to God. They are not being faithful to him. Verse 49 and 50. 1,200 years and the pattern is set. God is faithful. His people are unfaithful. He rescues them and offers them life and relationship with him. And they turn away from him, turning to idols constantly. They were disobedient even as God led, led them into the land. God has been faithful in all places, did you see? Mesopotamia, Egypt, the wilderness, at Mount Sinai, and as they go into the land, God has been faithful at all times, 1,200 years and some. Yet he has consistently been rejected by Israel. 
And so Stephen turns the trial back on the accusers. It seems that Stephen has forgotten who's being questioned here. Declaring in verse 51, You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit. As your ancestors did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They even killed those who announced before the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law under the direction of angels, and yet have not kept it. The pattern has continued. You are always resisting the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors did, so do you. You are just like your ancestors, stiff-necked, he says. That's to say, never turning. You know when you have a stiff neck, never turning left or right. Doesn't, they don't want to look away from their idols to God. You are just like your ancestors with uncircumcised hearts and ears. Now, admittedly, that is a harder image to get your head around. Uncircumcised hearts and ears, what does that mean? Well, I think... It means he is re- they are resisting the Holy Spirit. They are just like the people who are un- uncircumcised. Uh, Israel's people were circumcised and they were God's people. They, could, they were to listen and obey and yet they have not. They are just like the people who have uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like your ancestors, he says. You are who killed the prophets and worse... You have killed by betraying and murdering the righteous one, the Lord Jesus. Verse 52. You are just like your ancestors, disobedient to the law. Verse 53. I mean, what a bold and cutting thing for Stephen to say, the audacity of the man. They have accused him of preaching against the pillars of Jewish life and faith. And he says back at them, you never even embraced God. (laughs) They have always resisted him. All his offers of life and relationship with him, they have turned away and been unfaithful. So as we too proclaim Christ, we can expect, as there always has been, people who reject God, who refuse to come to him. Israel did that. The court in front of Stephen did that, and still that continues for us. We can expect rejection as we boldly proclaim Christ, but it should not stop us from proclaiming Christ. I mean, in Acts, we've seen thousands of people being added to the church, and we still see that today around the world and here at Snack. We saw it yesterday as we uh, gathered together at the big day out. Yet, I think there may be some of us here this morning that need to hear what Stephen is saying. Stephen says, if you have not turned to Jesus in repentance and faith, then you are resisting the Holy Spirit just as their ancestors did. Interestingly, Stephen doesn't tell them to repent and believe, as we've seen in the previous uh, speeches and sermons. Maybe, as we'll see, he doesn't get the chance. But I want to say, as Peter preached in his first sermon, to anyone here who has not turned to the Lord, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit because in this Jesus who was betrayed and murdered on a cross for all of us, well, there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to people and we must be saved by it. How many times do we need to hear this offer from God? How many times? Once, twice, a hundred God offers eternal life by His Spirit through His people proclaiming Christ. Relationship with Him and eternal life is on offer. Repent and believe in Jesus. How long will you continue to resist the Holy Spirit? Today is the day. Repent and believe. And if that is you, please also speak to someone. Repent and believe. Let's continue, though, into our third and final scene. Stephen martyred. Stephen, as he defends himself, he can expect rejection, but he can also expect God to be faithful. Stephen, having turned the trial back on his accusers, well, if we were telling this story, maybe, you know, around the table, we'd have the people in front of us might ask, oh, well, how did they respond? And we might, like an Aussie, or at least I would, well, they weren't happy. (laughs) Weren't happy, they were infuriated, verse 54. When they heard these things, they were enraged, enraged in their hearts. They gnashed their teeth at him. They were appalled. From the very core, they were red with anger. Nostrils were flaring, spit frothing at the edge of their mouth. Teeth bared at him. But switch to Stephen, verse 55. Filled by the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and he saw God's glory with Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And in case you missed what he saw, Luke tells us what Stephen said and he says pretty well the same thing. Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazes into heaven amidst the rage and the fury of the court. The Lord Jesus, the betrayed and murdered righteous one, the author of life, the Son of Man, not dead, but alive, (laughs) risen and reigning in heaven at the right hand of God. He is not ignorant of what his people are going through. He's not ignorant of what he asks of us. He knows, he sees. And by his spirit, he is filling believers to be bold in proclaiming Christ and following him in obedience. God is faithful. Jesus is faithful. Switch back to the accusers, though. Verse 57. They screamed at the top of their voices, keeping in line with what their ancestors did. They cover their ears. They don't want to hear it anymore. They have had enough of people pointing them to Jesus. They've had enough of people pointing people to God. So together they rush against him. Verse 58, they grab him, they threw him out of the city and they begin to stone him. And witnesses, they laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Back to Stephen, verse 59. As they were stoning Stephen, hit after hit, stone after stone, he calls out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down, fall into his knees and he cries out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin and saying this he fell asleep Saul agreed with putting him to death here Stephen was our faithful brother to the very end even as he is being stoned 
he sets his eyes on the Lord Jesus, not on the idols made by human hands, but on the God who made all things by his hand. And Stephen follows him in full obedience to his dying breath, knowing that God is faithful. Before we apply this, though, I just want to touch on a part of Luke's writing. Like I said at the very beginning of the sermon, uh, this is a vital step in the flow of the book of Acts. So I want to notice two things about what Luke writes. And as we keep reading, chapter 8, verse 1, we read that on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Stephen's death is what it took for the gospel to get out of Jerusalem, to go to Judea and Samaria, to the very ends of the earth, and to us here at Snack. This is what it took. But also, we are introduced to a new character in the story, Saul. Now, we all know, we may know who Saul is. He writes a whole bunch of the New Testament. But let's not skip forward to his conversion and all the good he does for the church. Here at this point in Luke's writing in Luke's account of the early church, Saul is a wretched man. He is following the same pattern that Israel has followed, killing once again anyone who proclaims the truth, anyone who calls for obedience to God and Christ. This is where Saul begins, sitting there approving of the, murdering, of the murder of Stephen. He is a horrible and wretched man but he will show up again in the rest of Acts. <laughs> but let's turn back to Stephen and let's focus on him. Stephen followed the Lord Jesus to the very end. Jesus calls his disciples to count the cost. He calls us to lose our lives now that they may gain life later. And we will for sure meet Stephen in heaven. And we could ask him as we stand before Stephen, do you regret proclaim, proclaiming Jesus so boldly? I mean, you were in a pretty good position in the early church. You could have done some pretty good stuff for the widows and the, the church's finances. And you were killed, so like that, that whole part of your ministry was gone and someone else had to do it. Do you regret like, proclaiming Jesus as the way you did? I think Stephen will reply. He won't say this. He'll probably say something else. But something along the lines of, No way! <laughs> I regret nothing. The Lord Jesus called me to follow him and to proclaim him. And so that's what I did to my dying breath. And now I am more alive than ever in the presence of the Lord, risen and reigning. Steve, I think, Steve, Stephen <laughs> is a great encouragement to us. I went full Australian there. A beautiful example for us to follow. We've seen the apostles leading from the front, proclaiming Jesus and suffering for it. And we can say, but they were apostles. We're not apostles. We can't do that. But now we have the example of Stephen, not an apostle, appointed to look after the church's finances, to look after the spreadsheets. Yet he still proclaims Christ boldly in the Spirit. Because God is always faithful, because the Lord Jesus is risen and reigning, because he fills us all by his spirit. And so I've been putting this question to myself 
as I've been preparing? What is it going to cost me to proclaim the gospel to my living end? What is it going to cost? What is it going to take? It may not cost me my life, as it costs Stephen, but am I going to persevere to the very end, as Stephen did? And so I want to ask you two, what is it going to take, what is it going to cost as you proclaim Jesus until your very end? It may cost us family, father, mother, brother, sister, children. As we sit down for family lunch and our sister asks, is Jesus really the only way to heaven? Is he really the only way to know God? Are we going to sit down and stay silent or stand up and speak? It may cost us our job and with it all the knock-on effects, a regular paycheck, money for mortgages and bills and then having to downsize and move homes and take our kids from one school and put them into another school. As you are pulled into the boss's office with the boss there, the HR and anyone else, and they ask, do you really believe that? It may cost us respect and popularity, friends, as we hold back from celebrating what the world celebrates. What is it going to take us? What is it going to cost us to proclaim Christ to our living end? Are we going to sit down and be quiet? Or are we going to stand up and proclaim Christ? The cost may be high, but even in the face of expected rejection, persecution and disobedience, we can live, we can, like Stephen, boldly proclaim the living Lord Jesus to our living end. Because God is faithful, because Jesus is risen and reigning, because he has sent his spirit which now dwells in us, we are to follow the beautiful and bold and somber example of our brother Stephen. Mike uh, sent me a quote um, about the facing persecution from one of the early church fathers, which I thought I would include here. Tertullian, Tertullian, not one of the three musketeers, one of the early church fathers, he wrote, kill us, torture us, grind us to the dust. The more you, know, the more you mow us down, the more we grow. The seed is the blood of Christians. It was the first seed of the blood of Jesus, the seed of the blood of the first martyr, Stephen. It is the seed of the blood of the ongoing and rising persecution in the church ever since that day. It is that seed that has meant the church has grown as large and bountiful and beautiful as it is today. It started with the smallest seeds of all the earth, yet it has grown and will continue to grow, becoming more and more the largest of all the garden plants with such big branches that the birds can, can perch in its shade. Will we all count the cost and proclaim Christ boldly to our living end? Our Lord is faithful. He is alive and risen and reigning. He knows what he asks of us. He went through it as he walked to the cross and he calls us to follow. Will we stand up and proclaim Christ with our brother Stephen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of our brother Stephen.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your Son and he is now alive, risen and reigning. That he sees what we go through as we proclaim Christ. Strengthen us and embolden us, Lord, by your Spirit, that we may proclaim Christ to our living end. For your glory and in your Son's name. Amen.